On today's episode, a bummed out Ryan Rossillo does 30 minutes on what happened last night. And yes, I'm more bummed out about the Chris Paul injury. We talk with Booger McFarlane, recapping the draft, who can compete with the Eagles in the NFC, and why Jalen Carter should have gone number one. Mike Trudell breaks down Lakers, Warriors, and life advice. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Buy. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering what made Buy so great. And it's actually pretty simple. Buy has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners. And the flavors are delicious. For me, it has to be Buy Zambia Bing Cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose Buy. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about Buy and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkbuy.com. Okay, who wants to listen to me today? Uh, not, not your favorite night a guy has ever had. Uh, can't call in sick, though. We don't do that around here. All right, Tales from the Couch. Two playoff games. We start in Boston. We get word, and we kind of knew this, that Embiid wasn't going to play in game one. So it looked that way at the start. Uh, some incredible numbers from this first half and maybe even the first quarter. I think Boston was actually 17-20 in the first quarter. So at the half, it's 66-63 Boston. <laughs> Philly shooting 55% from the floor, 58% from three. Boston 74% from the floor overall and 57% from three. So now you start to play the game. How does this score happen if Boston is doing whatever they want on offense? Well, is it free throws? No, it isn't. In a Philly game? No, it's not that. Philadelphia didn't have any free throw attempts at the half. Their first free throw attempts were actually at 537 left in the third quarter. Boston took only two. Um, Philly, which you always look for, is, well, how did it happen? Well, they had nine more field goal attempts in the first half. Boston, six more turnovers. Uh, Philly was plus three on the offensive rebounds. The Boston turnover stuff is still... Just weird at times. Um, and I would say it's a, a Jalen Brown thing. He was bringing the ball up at one point where nobody was even on, and he almost lost it. Um, but he was great in the first quarter. Tatum was incredible. Um, but on the other side, Harden came out. He took 30 shots last night. They needed it from him. He absolutely delivered. We're going to go through all of his defensive assignments. And then the game-winning shot a little bit later. Melton was huge. There was actually great offensive balance throughout this game where Melt was making everything. Maxi ended up with 26. Harris had 18 points. Paul Reed played a ton of minutes. We'll get to his free throw makes late, uh, a little bit later. He had a million boards. This was an incredible, gutty, tough win from Philadelphia where they looked like the tougher team mentally, even though I thought Boston at times looked like the more dominant team of the two. I, you know, I don't think that that would be much question to that one. Um, but with no Embiid out there, where now everything will be different when he comes back because you know, there's defensive assignments here that I don't love for Philadelphia. Harris is not going to be able to hang with Tatum. Um, PJ 
we know how tough he is, but like Jalen should be able to get him. And he got him a few times on some overplays. Tatum got him on a switch and an overplay. And then, you know, it's all easy after that because Paul Reed is not Embiid back there. I mean, no matter what you think about Embiid's deficiencies at times and defense, it's usually further away from the basket. Him just being there, it's not even the blocks. It's the field goal attempts. It's the intent. It's do I actually want to go there at this guy right now? And there's very few people in the league that would want to do that against Embiid. So Boston blew a massive opportunity considering how easy the offense was was for them for so much of this game. Uh, in the first interview with Maxi, they said it was about transition defense, and then Doc uh, reiterated that at halftime. Maxi could have just been repeating something Doc had said in the timeout a little bit earlier. I did not see this as a transition defense problem for Philadelphia because transition could be one or two things, right? It can be just straight up turnovers, fast breaks, two on ones, that kind of stuff. Guys not necessarily getting back. I mean, you're going to see players lose a couple guys. I don't care who you are uh, in a playoff game, it's going to happen. But I just thought it was the point of attack, Boston breaking the paint, and once they were in the paint, it couldn't be easier for them. I thought that was the bigger issue, and I don't know if that's all that's solvable for Philadelphia without Embiid in there. I mean, effort is a key adjustment. You know, you can see it even in game two of Denver and Phoenix, which we'll get to a little bit later here. Effort is the greatest adjustment, right? But in this one, it was just so easy for Boston the whole time, yet the score doesn't reflect it. Boston did get up 12 when it was 62 to 50. Um, but Philly went on a 10-0 run after that. And it, I cannot emphasize this enough. DeAnthony Melton, every time as an outlet, wide open threes and hitting them because primarily your Boston, your your concern if you're Boston on defense was trying to figure out a way to contain Harden. And despite Harden going for 45 points where he was awesome, like I went through it. Of the 30 attempts, I think only six were uncontested. His shot making last night was absurd, like prime hardened stuff. He may not, well, he doesn't move the same way as he did. You know, too often we kind of like, oh, I don't think he moves the same way. Oh, could it be because it's eight years ago? <laughs> could could that be a clue as to why he's moving a little slower than before and what Harden wasn't able to do against the Nets in that first round? You're like, well, that can't, like, even at him diminished, you can't possibly be that bad at the rim again. And it really wasn't rim stuff. He was... He was just great, man. He was great. All right, so uh, at 72-72, I wrote down the weird vibes alert because I was like, all right, this game is like a game now. And whatever Boston was getting early where you felt like, okay, 74% isn't sustainable, but this is easier for them. They should probably be able to find a way to pull away as the defense tightens up on both sides. But that's not really what happened. Now, uh, I thought it was really interesting, and I, obviously I was at home kind of chuckling a bit, because in the same like possession, the same little conversation, Reggie Miller was like, I love James Harden's patience, because patience, he started, well, his patience is how he plays. He figures out what he wants to do, dribbles, 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 and obviously it's on record how I feel about that, because I do think it becomes easier to defend um, over the course of a playoff series, but during that happening, there was a stretch where Philly actually wasn't scoring, right, which is going to happen. In any game, you know, no matter what you're doing, there's going to be like this three, three and a half minute stretch. Like, okay, this team hasn't scored any points. But what I thought was good from that, even though then Reggie, after it didn't work for a little while, was like, you know, I think they need to go quicker. I thought Harden slowing the game down for himself, which is his preference, obviously. I thought it slowed the entire game down. I think Boston kind of fell into that somewhat offensively, even though the defensive problem is the bigger issue for the Celtics team during the playoffs. So, Boston makes it 
on a smart and one. It was a baseline cut. Harden lost him. And I was like, okay, here we go. There's the bad defensive possession there. Look at all these points. Smart gets it to four. Boston maybe still figures out a way to pull this game off. Harden miss. Tatum misses a wide open three at 228. I mean, and then it's a bit of a miss, uh, miss fest here. Uh, the slowing down thing was real. Okay. Then there's the maxi and one play. Now, it looked like two officials had it different, a block or a charge. That's going to make it 111-110 if it's an and one and Maxi makes the free throw. If it's a charge, it's Maxi's sixth foul. That's the game for the most part. It, it lets, that's one of a handful of things, but you, know, you could sit there and say, okay, this, this likely is the game here, depending on how this call goes. Now, Smart actually was outside of the restricted area. Um, another thing to remember, too, because I saw somebody, the only reason I know this is that somebody explained it to me once. If a player's heels are over the line but raised off of the line, that's still considered a violation. It's supposed to be considered this kind of upward thing, like a plane, where you can't actually just raise your heels off the line. And I've seen some people, look, I mean, I messed up the walking the dog thing last year while the broadcaster did it. A ref called it this year. So um, I'm not saying I'm a hero. I'm just telling you that's something to look out for because you'll see it every now and then. Now, uh, I, this is a Philly-Boston thing. If you're a Philly guy, you're like, of course it was a block. He was still moving. If you're a Boston guy, you're like, hey, he was outside of the restricted area. We've seen, I've seen worse remain a charge. But the call I believe in is that that's a block because you're still moving. Me and all my charge rants, I believe that should be a block. I'm fine with it. I thought it was the right call, and it was a huge swing there. So we're at 111-110. Boston, two offensive rebounds on the next possession. Horford makes a layup. Now, this is part of the smart Derek White decision late, where I think it's smart's playmaking. You know, the defensive part was smart. Kind of feels a little bit more night to night. Um, cause Derek White is so good defensively this year. I voted him for one of the all teams, uh, all defensive teams this season. So maybe it's a, a strength thing against Harden, you know, but I also think it might be the playmaking that we saw against the double team with Tatum against Atlanta where smart made the great play, uh, to Horford. So that might be a little bit more of it. So at that point, offensive rebounds, they're up 113, 110. Paul Reed gets fouled. He's 75% from the free throw line this season. I still did not expect him to make both of these free throws. Boston's still up one. It's 113-112. And this possession should haunt Celtics fans. You know, Boston's been to the NBA Finals. The battles with Miami last year where they were the better team and yet it still almost didn't go their way. The battle with Giannis in Milwaukee, like the MVP Giannis that uh, we all loved. Right, not the guy that's getting dumped on by everybody now. But um, again, that's I'm being dramatic about that. So this is the whole point. This is all those scars, right? All these scars are supposed to add up to you looking more comfortable. And nobody on Boston wanted to take the shot here. Nobody wanted the ball. The whistles started like the refs were whistle happy at this point. If anything, just something simple with Tatum or Brown, or Tatum is the decoy to get it back to Brown. Although I don't know, I want Brown taking the free throws, but. Something getting one of those two guys, hell, even Brogdon going downhill, knowing the refs were a little whistle happy. Smart got one where he just flailed, yard sailed himself into a defensive player at the rim, I think against Reed. And I can't even believe he got the call and they gave it to him there. So to not take a shot 
not have anybody look comfortable with the basketball in their hands. And Brogdon, of all people, who just usually just like, hey, that guy knows what's going on. With a second left, he's looking to make a pass where even if the pass had been delivered to anybody, it was going to be a shot clock, via, uh, shot clock violation. So there's no way. Like, it didn't make any sense. And then it goes Freddie Brown style. He throws it right to Maxi. Maxi takes the ball, hits the layup. Everybody stopped. Nobody was catching Maxi anyway. Maxi didn't travel, by the way, either. Uh, and you're going, well, what the hell happened there? And by the way, I love that, that that's, uh, that's not a shot clock violation. It shouldn't ever be. The defense should be rewarded for getting the team to screw it up. And too many times you'll see the whistle go like, oh, shot clock. They should never interfere with the defense getting a great look off of that shot clock violation. Like it shouldn't stop play. So I was happy that that happened because I just think it's the right thing to see in basketball. So now Philly's actually up, which is kind of funny because I think people are going to forget Boston actually took the lead back here. Tatum gets downhill, gets his free throws, makes both of them. 26 seconds left. Now, on this last play at 26 seconds, after Doc had made defensive substitutions, hey, we're going to give Doc Rivers some credit here. He puts Niang and um, Melton back in, all right? Because he knew, excuse me, he wanted Niang and, and Maxi in. So Melton came out on that substitution. So it's Harris, it's PJ, it's Niang, and it's Maxi. Now, we understand why Doc's doing this because he wants all the spacing if Horford can get the switch that he wants. He gets the switch on Horford. Yes, I do not like how easy NBA teams allow themselves to get into um, a disadvantage switch. It happens all the time. I still can't believe how bad the Warriors were with it in 2016 against the Cavs. They just invited themselves into these horrible disadvantage switches. And as much as I can say that, there are times, too, where you'll see a team sort of fight a switch or a guy looks like he's going to switch and he comes back to recover and the NBA players are so good, they burn you the whole time. And certainly Harden is capable of doing that with his passing and his vision, right? And he already Harden already knows all the stuff that you're trying to do here. But Horford gave a great contest on that shot. I watched all 30 shot attempts from Harden this morning, specifically that one. That's a great contest. It is. Now, granted, you're dealing with the Harden part of this where he's going to look to land into your feet, so you're worried about the free throws. You know, Harden's misses last night, most of the misses were him being more concerned with trying to get free throws than it was him making the shot, which I think is something that's happened to him more and more. But he shot it well enough this season after declining uh, the last couple of years from three, so you can't really get on him for it. But, you know, as much as, oh, Harden got smoked or, or, or Harden smoked Horford, I should say, go back and look at that three. And even Horford said he went earlier than I thought, and he did. Like, the shot is up with seven seconds left on the shot clock. And Harden's still going to angle himself looking for a foul on it, but he shot it mere, uh, much more pure than some of the stuff he'll do earlier in a game where he's just hoping to get the free throws. So I didn't really think it was – I don't like the switch. And then the other part is you send two. I like the idea of sending a second guy, but you know you could possibly get burned with that one. PJ sets the screen. He runs right down to the baseline to get out of it. It was kind of crowded on that right side, so maybe you could have set a second defender over there and there was enough crowding on the right side that if Harden passed out to one of those guys, somebody could have could have made up the ground. And Harris is on Tatum, completely stuck in the left quarter away from everything. So, sure, you can rewatch that a million times if you want and come up with different things they could have done. I'm not even saying you're necessarily wrong. I just think at times it could be a little unfair, especially when Horford 
Got a really good contest on that shot. Now, going through the 30 shot attempts from Harden. Now, field goal attempts versus defender does not always tell the truth on defensive assignments here. White had three, six against Smart, six against Brogdon. As soon as Grant Williams came in, he switched on him twice. I thought Grant gave a really good contest on the first one. The second one, he tried to body up and lost him immediately on the dribble. Uh, Rob Williams, two contests. Tatum, only two. Horford, five. Jalen Williams, three. And then Hauser, which was my favorite one because Harden jumped about three feet forward trying to get the foul on that one and fell down. I would have posted that if they had lost, perhaps. Um, Of the 30, again, I think it's six uncontested, which speaks to how brilliant Harden was last night. Right? It wasn't free throws. It wasn't an egregious amount of shots that were inefficient. It was a guy finding a way in a playoff game, which has not been on the resume, despite some of the overall numbers, where he was in complete control and looked comfortable in moments when I've seen him look uncomfortable in the past. I mean, for him to hit that many shots where I really, my tracking is 24 of the 30 to be contested, including the last one. Uh, brilliant game from him. Celtics defense. Let's talk about it. They could depend on it last season. The playoffs so far right now, I don't know what's going on. They were second in defense last year in the playoffs behind only Milwaukee. Uh, The offense was ninth. The offense was the problem against Golden State. They looked uncertain. They didn't know necessarily like who was their closer. Tatum didn't drive the contact as well. It was a big adjustment this offseason. It's made him even better. Uh, But at this point right now, Boston is 12th out of 16 teams in the playoffs on defense. Seven games, sure. Small sample, sure. But teams 13 through 16 are all home right now. The last five games, Boston's given up 123 points per 100 possession. In the finals last year against Golden State, they gave up 110 points per 100 possessions against Golden State in the finals. Against Atlanta, and now game one, excuse me, the last four against Atlanta and the first game against Philly, they're at 123. Yes, offense, rising tides, all that kind of stuff. The fourth quarter offense, Philadelphia through the playoffs. I don't even know what to make of it because the Brooklyn part of it was, um, you know, I don't know that it was a huge challenge, but Philly did what they needed to do despite me going, I worry about them late. Some of the predictability, I know the numbers are better than I maybe give them credit for. Philly's third and fourth quarter offense through the playoffs. Boston is seventh, um, and Doc Rivers wins the Doc Rivers rule game. And Horford talked about it. He talked about it after and said, you know, I think once we knew Embiid was out, we we lightened up a little bit. Wait, don't lighten up. Fix the defense, maybe. But that was, uh, you know, as we talked about Phoenix and Denver in game one, alarming to see Boston at home in that spot look like the less tougher team. Denver, all Jokic, man. What a game. 39 points, 16 boards, five assists, nine field goal attempts in the first quarter. He knew uh, the approach, what he was going to have to do. Like It was pretty clear we were going to see this rare Jokic game where he was going to actually initiate a lot of the offense. 30 shots in the game for him as well. Uh, That's a season high, I believe. Fourth quarter, it's 73-70 Phoenix. Phoenix somehow is still leading this game. Well, that's because after Jokic, Nobody was doing anything from Denver. Let's run through some of the numbers. Neither team could hit from three. Phoenix was 6-22 for 27%. Denver 4-21-19% at this time when I wrote it down, start of the fourth. Murray, 1-10. One 1-10 of, 10. One of 10 with four points, 0-6 from three at this point. Um, you know, Phoenix earlier in the game had led 59-51. Uh, and maybe you, you sense the tone in my voice here as I address this. 
why do I go back at 59-51? That's because 504 left of the third quarter. Chris Paul left the game with a groin injury. Uh, say what you want about Chris Paul at times the playoffs. Again, he's a diminished player. He has been in the regular season. This is not breaking news. He was one of seven to start the game, but he made three straight off that drop against Jokic that I talked about with Bill after game one, being like, you know, look, it's not like you're just going to have to rant, book, or watch everything you're doing. At times, even against the Clippers in game one when they blew that game, I was like, wait, you just what are you going to do? Just run eight and Chris Paul stuff all the time with two Hall of Famers watching the whole time? Like, that doesn't make a ton of sense. However, I thought having none of it against Jokic, the thing that you're supposed to exploit against Jokic being out there and some of that drop stuff and how Denver at times, even in the regular season, I'm like, man, they asked that guy to cover a lot of ground and blitz pretty far out at some point guards, depending on what they're doing. Um, you might want to look at it because even if Chris Paul's not taking that shot every time, it should open up some things. Paul made three in a row and it felt like he was starting to feel things out. And again, it just makes things easier for everybody else. Then he leaves with the groin injury. I have no idea. Make fun of me all you want. I guess I deserve it. Uh, it feels a little mean, a little mean spirited. I did get a text from Big Cat last night. He tweeted about it too. Um, he was trying to pretend he was being nice, but we know that he's evil. Kyle and I know that he's evil deep down. So um, we're going to leave that one alone. Okay. So Jokic comes back in at 920. So just under three minutes of not playing. Now let's go backwards, right? Phoenix was up 73-70 to start. Nobody's making any shots. Supporting cast is helping out Denver. I don't love everything I'm seeing from Phoenix, but I'm loving the defensive intensity. Uh, I thought Aiton was better. It's not perfect. You know, some of the funny things that I was thinking about with Horford and, the, and you know, people say, oh, he got cooked by Harden at the end. I'm like, man, that was a pretty good contest. Now, there were some other drops where Harden, or excuse me, Horford was against the screen um, against Harden where I thought he was a little too deep. And then it's like, man, sometimes we ask these centers to like get out and get into somebody's jersey. And it's just not realistic that that's going to happen. And it happens with Aiton in game one. Feel like it happened a little less in game two. And then the other stuff for Aiton, like one on one against Jokic, good luck, man. Good luck. More moves than a can of worms. I heard an old guy say that on a broadcast um, one time. There's just not much you're going to be able to do with that. So as I keep getting to the 73 70 thing, that means that Phoenix was up three. That means in the non-Jokic minutes, they should be able to go on some kind of run. That's not what happened. He sat almost three minutes, as we said. Phoenix lost those minutes three to zero. They didn't score. They didn't score. Phoenix was 0 of 9 uh, to start the fourth quarter. They were 7 of 25 overall in the fourth. After the Chris Paul injury, Durant went 4 of 12. We'll get to him. Okay. So Jokic misses this time. <laughs> and now it, you were up three and now, now it's tied. Okay. Well, maybe it was only, you know, 240. But this is a problem. This continues to be a problem. Look at these non Jokic minutes so far in these first two games. Uh, Jokic, the sub pattern is not in stone with Denver and how they want to do it. But it's, you know, it's kind of like plays most of the first quarter, maybe all the first quarter. Jokic plays, I think, the whole first quarter last night. Right, he's he comes, uh, he sits at the start of the second quarter. It's twenty-one eighteen Phoenix. Um, he comes back in at seven fifty-one. Denver wins the non-Jokic minutes eight to three. So Phoenix actually blows another lead there. Game one, uh, Jokic sits at one thirty-seven of the first quarter. It's twenty-eight twenty-seven Denver. Jokic comes back in. And 
They actually sat him a little longer in this game. Denver won that stretch by seven points. In the third quarter of game one, Jokic sits 39 seconds left of the third quarter. It's 93-79. Comes back into the fourth at 740. You know, interesting stuff that Malone's doing there. Again, it depends on the game, the extra break, and that kind of thing. He brings him back earlier last night than he did in game one. Granted, they had more of a lead, so that's part of it as well. Um, comes out, up 14, comes back in, up 12. So they only lost two points. So there's one sub-pattern in this entire series where it was a negative for Denver and it's only been minus two. That can't happen. The other thing that can't happen is, is KD in this he needs to be impossible. He needs to be impossible to deal with. And he's not that right now. He had a one foot step back from the right baseline. I was like, he actually needs to hit those absurd shots. I have no issue with Booker. The rest of the bench is a mess. We knew that. The three-point shooting, so many wide open looks from this team. I do think there's a weird like, hey, what do we do wrong? Let's let's be better next game where everybody was on him for not taking enough threes. So they came out and take a ton of threes. Booker was 4 of 8 from 3. The rest of the team was 2 of 23. Campaign had a couple, hey, look at me, threes, which I love. But now campaign is a necessity because of the Chris Paul injury. That's clearly, I've never heard older guys hurt their groin and be like, yeah, it was only like a day. I'm good. I'm good. Unless you're Lane Johnson. I don't know if that's going to be a quick recovery, if at all. So Durant, despite the defense and the boards, not enough there. Um. I agree with Bill on Sunday. He goes, you know, they still have a lot of that new guy vibe to them. They do. They don't really seem to know what they want to do. They definitely don't know what their rotations are. Uh, they keep trying different stuff that doesn't feel like coaching adjustments. It feels like being lost. And the only thing you're banking on here for Phoenix, because if Chris Paul doesn't come back, again, say what you want, not having him in an early, pretty depleted rotation is a huge, huge problem. If you're Phoenix, you're banking on that Durant guy. You're banking on three days off and that Denver is 19 and 22 on the road this season. That's Tales from the Couch. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it's been a while. So. I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. The draft is over, and uh, we want to make sure we still had some time to recap this with a good friend. Love having him on, Booker McFarlane, ESPN. What's up, man? What's up, dude? How we doing? I'm good. I'm good. Usually you have a joke or some sort of thing to get us started here, so I was going to give you the floor. I don't know if you had well, something you no, want to give me a hard time about. Well, not really a joke. I just noticed we still haven't gotten anything on the walls in the background, although I do see something on the floor in the corner, which looks like it needs to be put up, but... Uh, other than that, man, you are living a bachelor life in Manhattan Beach still, I see. 
Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we don't have stuff up on the walls. I guess whenever I move into a place, I'll be like, oh, I'll probably move again shortly. So I feel like I'm doing that for the next person, you know? Big guy, you've been there a while. So like, I mean, you, you know, you can't keep using, I just moved in. I mean, you've been there a few years now, you know? No, that's fair. It's fair. It's, uh, it's well said. I don't know. I don't know what, once it all feels like home one day, I'll do it. I'll do it up. Okay. Uh, Jalen Carter is now in Philly. Um, you know, we know his talent. Uh, we know the stories. And to see him drop to nine isn't shocking. Uh, but what did you think of him, the story, everything going into it in the pick? Well, uh, obviously, once you dig in and, and you see kind of uh, what happened, I, I think the fact that someone's life was lost, that he was involved in, really played a huge role while everybody looked down on it. And I, I can completely understand that. I think also the fact that um, there were some discrepancies in his stories kind of played a part in that because now the character is he upstanding and all that good stuff. But I think once the NFL dug into it, and I, I don't I don't mean to minimize it, um, but when you kind of look at it, I mean, he was allegedly racing somebody and the person he was racing, um, you know, had an accident and they died. Um now, did he leave the scene and all that good stuff? I don't know all the pertinent details, but I think the fact that he settled that, um, he got off with what it was a misdemeanor and, and like a year suspended license. I think the NFL was okay with that. Now, some teams weren't, but overall, the NFL was like, okay, cool. He's still going in the top 10. I, I, I hearken it back, man, to a guy I played with, with Solo, and that was Sap, man. If you remember, in 95, Sap was supposed to be the number one pick in the draft. He was supposed to go number one. Night before the draft, there's a leak. He failed a drug test. And all of a sudden, he goes from 1 to 12, uh, gets to Tampa. Tampa takes him, and he's a Hall of Fame player. Does Carter have that type of ability? Yes. Is he the same type of player? No. I kind of liken him to a twitched up, to use one of McShay's favorite words, twitchy, a twitched up version of Indomitian Soup. He's a power player that has great skills. He's a little immature. He needs to get in a, in, a, in a place or he needed to get in a place that had people who are gonna, kind of going to have to look after him and kind of show him the ropes. And what better place when he's got half the Georgia Bulldogs in Philadelphia? So I think he's in a perfect spot. Um, he's a little out of shape. He's a little immature. He's young. He's got plenty of money now. So it's going to be up to those older guys there to kind of show him the ropes. But overall, um, I would have taken him number one overall. I think when you start talking about how can you – how can you look at players and see what translate from college football to the NFL? I think it's easiest for defensive tackles, defensive linemen, because they really aren't changing a whole lot once they get to the NFL. Like, they got to change some techniques and things like that. But other than that, like, when the ball snaps, you go blow that dude up in front of you and get to the quarterback. And I think what he does translates so easily. I would have taken it first overall, uh, but I do understand the trepidation by some organizations. But it just wouldn't have been me once I find out and everything going everything that went on and once he settled the case. I like the SAP comp, but I imagine at that point you would come in four years after him. So, you know, I don't know yeah. if SAP was going to listen to anybody. He wasn't going to listen to anybody else. I know your thing as far as getting to know you, like I just think you're a really mature person and I'm sure you were kind of like that even as a young dude. But did you have stuff later on where there'd be like a younger player? Like how did you handle a younger player coming in, a lot of talent, but knowing that, you know, they needed that guidance and they needed it early to kind of salvage a career. Well, I think the one thing you can't do is force it. Like, you you can't come in and, and start 
you know, preaching to the kid and telling him, hey, man, like, follow me. When I go to the bathroom, you go. Like, that's one thing that you can't do because then it's not authentic. And, and, and it's not something that's just kind of natural. I think what you have to do is lead by example. And, you know, you introduce yourself to the kid on the first day. and You try to befriend him. But at the end of the day, you go out and you show him how it's done. I think, you know, there's an old saying, more is caught than taught. And what that means is if you show somebody how to do things, they'll catch more than you tell them, than you telling them what to do. And I think overall, uh, it's going to be up to those veterans there to show him how to do it, show him how to be a pro, show him how to act, show him how to eat right. That's what we would do. Now, we would have a bunch of fun uh, doing that. And I was in the locker room with Hardy Nickerson and Derek Brooks, and John Lynch, and those guys, they showed me. And so when young guys came in, it was up to me to show them, yeah, it's going to be cool. We're going to work our tails off. We're going to have a bunch of fun. But you know what? Like when it's time to go hang out and chill, we go hang out and chill. You want to drink a couple of brews? Go drink a couple of brews. But we're not going to be out to three or four o'clock in the morning. We're not going to be flunking drug tests. We're not going to be beating up women. We're not going to be doing things that we shouldn't do because you have to start to act like a professional. And I think that's the thing that a lot of these young dudes don't understand is because you got a lot of money and you got a lot of time. There's no 20-hour rule in the NFL football. So you're going to spend a fair amount of time at the facility, but there's also time between, especially now with this new CBA, man. I mean, once your season is over, let's say your season ends in December, man, you're not coming back to work until like mid-April. So you got a lot of money. I mean, you Cancun in it. You're Hawaii. You're Europe. Uh, what's the new thing now? Tulum or where the place is down, down south? Like everybody's going to these places now. So you just got to make sure that you are you are acting the part. And it was told to me once, uh, one time by Hardy Nixon. He said, regardless of where you go, ask yourself this, whatever you're about to do, how's it going to represent your name and your family's name? And if your mom found out, how would she react? And he's like, that usually is kind of a good guide um, to kind of deter you or allow you to go ahead and do some things. How did you have the quarterbacks ranked in order? Uh, Bryce Young, one. Uh, C.J. Shroud, two. Um, Hendon Hooker, three. Uh, Will uh, Anthony Richardson, four. And then Will Levis, five. That's how I had him ranked. Okay. All right. So let's dig into that a little bit. Um, the Hooker challenge, I think, for some teams, like I was reading some profile of him the other day, and it was like, okay, but, you know, if you just develop him slowly, because – you know, there's a lot of similarities from what I understand between what Hypel runs and what Baylor, some of the same stuff. Like Tennessee gets their guys open. They play fast. Uh, that tells me it's a lot of half the field reads. And Hooker yeah. was incredible. There's some physical stuff with him, too. But we're also talking about somebody who's 25. I think he'd be like 26 at the end of the season. So if you're talking about somebody developmentally to step in after Goff after a couple of years to NFL him up, I'm like, okay, he might be 28 at that point. So. I have to think that that was like from a quarterback standpoint, do you have him per perhaps even higher than what you think he would be, but the age holds it back? The age doesn't bother me. The age actually helps because it's a position that doesn't get hit a ton. And the fact that he's got a couple years off uh, or he's had some time off with the transfer and all that. And now with the knees, probably going to have a year off. Here's where I look at that position with Salome. And I look at it a lot different than a lot of people. I don't care what you run into 40. I don't care what you jump. I don't care how, how far you can throw the football. That decision, that, that, that position is based on a few things. And none of them have to do with anything physically measurable. Decision-making. 
Can you make great decisions with the football? Processing. Can you absorb a lot of information quickly and then make a decision with that? Accuracy. Can you throw the football accurately? And do you have poise? Like those things are what make the position. Think about the greatest ones in the National Football League right now. And think about those four attributes I just listed. None of them have a, a height, weight, size thing on them. And I think hitting the hooker for me, yeah, he's played a lot of football. Yeah, he's a little bit older. But you know what you get with, with age? And I'm sure you've gotten this. Maturity. You get better decision making. You no longer are trying to shotgun 12 beers like you when you were 21 and 27. You get a lot better decision making when you get older because you've seen some things. And so at 26, I'm cool. Because quarterbacks now are playing until they're 36. Aaron Rodgers just got traded for at 36 years old or whatever he is, 38. So he's going to play probably 10 good years. And if I told you you got 10 good years of Hendon Hooker, you sign up for it in a heartbeat. So the age really only helps me at that position. Now, if this were guard or tailback or whatever, you're right. But at quarterback, I love the age. I love a guy being older because he's more mature. And, you know, just kind of still a line from from uh, John Gruden years ago. He's not worried about going out playing grab ass at night. Like he he is a little bit older, more mature, ready to kind of handle his business and be a professional. So you had Levis fifth. Was there a massive gap between he and Anthony Richardson for you? Um, Not really. I just don't think you can turn the football over as much as Will Levis did. And then he goes, you know, in, in the postseason kind of lead up to the draft. I didn't know if he was preparing for the draft or like Mr. Olympia. Like he turned into a bodybuilder. He's posting. As a matter of fact, it's kind of funny you ask that question because when I saw him post pictures of his delts online, I'm like, man, is he hanging out with Rosillo now? Are they bench pressing like once a week? And hey, take this picture from me so I can post my rear delts online. Like, come on, dude, you're playing quarterback. Not you're not, not the like- first. Yeah, you're not the first person to make that connection. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. Like, seriously. So he, like he he's got to loosen his upper body up and all that good stuff. I'm not going to get like really analytical, but he, here's what I'll say: all the things that he kind of and, and this is where social media I think hurt him a little bit, like the mayonnaise and the coffee, like all the little quirky things. Like come on, man! Like when's the last time we've seen our quarterback go down this road? Like it just doesn't get a good feel when your quarterback is like super weird. Like most quarterbacks are kind of buttoned up, business like professionals. CEO, by the way, they make the most money. How, how, how would you feel if the CEO of your company was walking around saying, you know what? Hey, man, everybody get a cup of coffee. We're going to put mandates in it today. Let's do a little team bond. Probably wouldn't go over well, buddy. Okay, see, this is actually a good transition because I want to get to Ursay and his tweet a little bit later. But, you know, Levis ends up going to Tennessee. It actually feels like a great spot for him because, you know, whether – you're in Houston pretending you're going to bring C.J. Stroud along slowly. He's going to start this year. You know, Bryce is going to start. Um, you know, Anthony Richardson probably ends up starting. Where Levis, look, if Tannehill with a year left, and I know he's had his injury problems, so it'll really depend on his health and how Tennessee's going. But there's a version of events here where Levis doesn't have to play at all this season. So it it feels less, there's less of a possibility of him being rushed. So even though I agree I had him behind Richardson, I, if he has a chance, I think that the fact that he's in this setting with a really good coach who gets it in Vrabel, that they're not like Vrabel has enough equity too, where you're not going to feel like some of these coaches are going, well, I'm going to get fired anyway. So why don't I play this young guy? And if we lose games, I can just blame that. 
Yeah, I, I think you're kind of going down the right path there. Uh, Tannehill kind of needs to play and play well. And he's been injured a little bit. And so I think the motivation for him to go out and Tannehill's not going to have to worry about these two kids beating him out. Malik Willis, I think we saw last year, wasn't ready, although I do expect him to make a big jump this offseason. And Will Levis, I think, needs to kind of sit and understand how to play professional quarterback at the next level. So to me, this is setting up in a perfect world. If you're if you're Tennessee, Tannehill plays this year. And then the year after, Malik Willis and Will Levis are battling one-two and the loser is the backup. I, I think in a perfect world, this is what they want to do. Because like Vrabel is never going to open this thing up and say, hey, let's go four wide and, 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 and kind of sling it around. Like, he's never going to do that. So the quarterback of Tennessee is really going to be like the quarterback of San Francisco, the quarterback of the Rams. Like it's going to be a run-based play-action offense that's going to be easily for the quarterback to decipher what to do. And we always hear, man, the most uh, the quarterback with the best chance to succeed is anybody that is playing for Kyle Shanahan. And I think there's a reason for it because of how the offense is run. It will be different if you're going and playing Detroit where uh, the O.C. Johnson wants to open this thing up. So I agree Levis is in the best position. I also agree he was the least talented of the five quarterbacks that were, quote-unquote, taken early in this draft. You were with the Colts for a very short amount of time, but <laughs> I don't know that anything Jim Mercer does is going to surprise any of us. But for him to tweet after they'd taken Anthony Richardson, like, hey, Colts fans, should we take Levis and have a young Montana for the franchise? I mean, I probably shouldn't put too much into it, but can you offer us any more Ursa perspective in your short time there? Um, he beats to his own drum. He is super intelligent, super loyal. Uh, sometimes beating to his own drum causes him to say things or do things that the people around him have to kind of walk back or they kind of question, uh, which is why, just like most billionaires, he's got a couple of right-hand men that are around him to make sure that some of those things don't come out. But overall, like I, my, my two years in Indy, man, were great. Um, he respected my opinions on some matters. When we went to the Super Bowl, he actually called me in his office and said, hey, what do we need to do to be prepared for what we're about to deal with when we get to Miami? He said, we've never been there. You've, you've gone to the Super Bowl, so how do we handle it? Give me advice. Tell me what I need to tell these coaches. Tell me what I need to do. And like he was, like to me, that says something because – most billionaires or most people got to be the smartest person in the room. They don't know how to stoop down and say, okay, here's what I don't know. Let me ask somebody. And for the owner of the team to kind of ask, I mean, I had just got, I had only, I only been there six months or five months. And he's like, hey, can you help me? So to me, that showed me a lot about his personality and uh, gave me a little glimpse inside what makes him up a little bit. But overall, yeah, I, I, he's kind of what you see is what you get, man. I think he's been through a lot, uh, even though it's been, well, it's been over a decade since I played there. Anytime I see him, it's family. Uh, like it, 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 it's, it's super cool to see him, um, to see kind of where he's at now compared to where he was. And as you saw with the Jeff Saturday situation and with the Peyton Manning uh, comments a lot, like he's super loyal to the people that have worked for him. And, and to me, that's a great thing because that shows you the appreciation he's always had for the people that work for him. And maybe he's a little weird. He's not like the other owners all buttoned up, but guess what? We're all different. And at the end of the day, um, I respect him for the business that he's built, he's, he's built and some of the challenges he's overcome. Okay, I want to ask this specific to you, though. And again, this kind of gets into us knowing each other a little bit. But did you 
work on having any kind of relationship with ownership, you know, because that can be seen as like a weird thing in the locker room. But I can also understand, especially in Ursay, I don't know how it was in Tampa for you, but you were there a lot longer. You were a really important part of that. What is that? What's the level of like priority for you to have any kind of correspondence with the person that's cutting the checks? Well, it's got to be a little organic, number one. Um, my rookie year, I didn't even know really who the owners were in Tampa. Uh, I had to kind of figure out, like, they would come to practice because, like, the Glazer family, there was the dad, and you had three sons and a daughter, and then you had some handlers. I'm like, well, who's who? But over the years, uh, I learned who was who. I learned who were the decision makers. I learned who were the ones that were just kind of there hanging out. And, you know, here we are. I mean, I got drafted in 99, and it's 2023. And um, if I need to pick up the phone and call Joe Glazer, I can. Uh, the daughter, Darcy Glazer Kasowitz. Um, I did an event for her this year uh, over at the new Bucks facility because there's some rapport there. And over the years, the relationship has not soured. Uh, Are we best friends? No. But I've had several conversations with those two in particular. And Joe kind of runs the football side and Darcy's kind of the community side. So those are the two people that I've gravitated to. But early on in your career, man, you're just trying to figure out, man, where to live, where to go, what's the right spot to eat at. Now, when I got to Indy, because Indy traded for me and because uh, Indy was such a veteran team and because Tony Dungy was there, there was a heightened level of um, pace to get to know Mr. Ursay. Because, again, hey, we're trading away a second round pick. Who's the guy we're getting? A little short nose guard from Tampa? Okay, I need to meet him. I need to know him. I need to talk to him. And then when I got there, hey, come sit in the office. Hey, whatever we need. Because he was trying to win a championship at that point. So that was, I mean, he was super competitive. He wanted to know everything that he didn't know about winning a title. And so that relationship kind of um, was escalated due to that. And again, even like I said, even now we can still, you know, I can pick up the phone and call Jim and like, hey, I need X. And he might, he might not treat me the way he treats Peyton, obviously, but uh, he's going to answer the call. Yeah, I, the Peyton thing I can understand a little bit. That's, I think that's fair. Uh, let's dig into the NFC. Your man, yep. Greeny. He's at it again this weekend. You know, he looked at the <laughs> Eagles draft and he said they're the best team in the NFL. Uh, and it's not even close, which is always the dig giveaway that it's it's probably somewhat debatable. But it's there's no denying, you know, not only are they stacked uh, on the roster, they're adding depth. They already, you know what I mean? They're already planning the replacements. That's the beauty of having a really good football team, is you can kind of look at some picks as a luxury item as opposed to a need. So we all love the Eagles. I, I think it's it's pretty fair to say that they'd be in the mix. How many other teams do you think are even at that tier, though, in the NFC? Um, San Francisco is going to be there. They, they've shown, regardless of who the quarterback is, they're going to be there, man. Like it, It's what they do. It's their program, how good they are defensively. They're there. Uh, I do like what Dallas uh, has, has done. You know, Dallas gets the defensive tackle. They get the tight end a little later. I like what they did. Um, I'm uh, I'll give you a surprise that I'm sure it's, it's going to be the sexy pick as the summer goes on. It's the Detroit Lions. Um, that's going to be the trendy, sexy pick this offseason. Um, they finished the year very strong. Um, I love their draft. Love what they've done. Um, the, their draft wasn't prototypical based on everybody's mock. And I, I didn't see the Rosillo mock draft or the Saruti mock draft, but I'm sure you guys did one. Uh, but for them to take, a running back, and then a 6'5", 240-pound linebacker from Iowa, 
And even though he won the buckets, people are like, well, who is this dude? But it fits Dan Campbell. It fits who they are. Like, you know, you get Jameer Gibbs, you get Jack Campbell. I like what they did. And overall, I think their team is built the right way. Their team, if, if they can just get a couple breaks and, 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 and get things rolling early on, their team has football character. It's mentally tough. Now, that's one of the things that's hard to do. If you go back years ago, Rusillo, when, when training camp was training camp, that's the part of the, uh, of the season where you became mentally tough. And most teams don't get that now because training camp is soft. And so I think Detroit still gets that, that mentally toughness uh, from Dan Campbell. So, yeah, I like them. Uh, who else in the NFC? Um, Green Bay, no, even though I think they're still talented defensively. Um, Philly, the, the Giants, I'm not a Daniel Jones guy. Um, that's about it, man. I mean, you know. It's not a long list. Like, we would agree no, not. here on this one. But, I, you know, it's, it's football. It's the NFL. There's going to be a couple NFC teams at some point that look like they're actually hanging with the Eagles, even if we think from a talent standpoint. And before we have free agency finished here, so it's a little early to do any of this kind of stuff. But I'm glad you said Detroit because the Jameer Gibbs, as nasty as he is, and he's nasty. Like I wonder, you know, I'm I'm anti the running back thing. I'm not changing my mind about all that stuff. But he why? Was, tell me why. Okay, tell uh, me why are you anti running back? I'm going to tell you right now, it's like having a great post player in an NBA team. It's awesome that you can do all those things, and it's really cool. We're never passing it to you. And running backs cannot control a team's game, the outcome of game. They can't control a season the way they used to, the way we grew up. Like You could have an okay quarterback and an awesome running back, and they could carry you. It doesn't happen anymore. Adrian Peterson's the last guy to do it. You could argue Derrick Henry a little bit. I guess uh, Peterson to me is the fun that that year that he had with that Minnesota team and made them competitive. Like I think they got into the playoffs that one year and I'm like, this team sucks. And it was all him. I just don't think the game is played in a way that prioritizes a dominant running back that way on third and four. You're not handing off anymore in this league. So let me so, push back to you on this. Okay? okay. Because you, because you brought up the basketball analogy and, and I love this. So if we take a look at the best player in the world, arguably Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, he doesn't, I mean, most people would say he doesn't have a great jump shot, okay? Will he, he shoot it occasionally? Yes. Will he shoot it at a high percentage? Yes. But he's going to score all of his, all of his points, um, paint toward the rim. Now, because he's so athletic and because he can and do uh, like a ton of different things and he can get to the rim and run the floor and all that good stuff, we don't look at him as a traditional big. We look at him as, 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 as a guy who, I don't know, people call him a wing. To me, he's a big. But when all hits the fan, they know they can give the ball to him. He can make a play. If you look at Jameer Gibbs, you look at Christian McCaffrey, you look at Alvin Kamara, you look at running backs of that Austin Eckler, guys in the NFL, to me, I don't look at them as running backs. To me, they're weapons. And I can get them the ball and they can make a play regardless whether it's out of the backfield, regardless whether I throw them a swing pass, regardless of how they get the ball. To me, it's not about carries because you said something earlier. You said. 34, I'm not going to hand the ball off. You're right. You may not hand it off. But on 34, I may put you out at the slot and throw you a little swing pass, and now you're in space. And so I would equate the running back very similar to how you equate a guy like Giannis. Because Giannis is a big, but he's not the post-up big, but still, he's a guy who I, I also wouldn't consider a wing either. Like, he's a big, but he's a different type big. Does that make sense? It does, but I... <laughs> 
and and see, here's the thing: is Jameer's going to have some runs early in his career where right. the reaction on Sunday is going to be, "Wait, I thought everybody thought this pick was bad." And it's like, no, it actually has nothing to do with him because he is that nasty. But I also kind of like think about, you know, receptions wise. Granted, Georgia Tech's not going to throw the football. Um, you know, 44 catches at Bama last year. I, I think we do that a lot with these playmakers where we'll say, all right, we'll just go out and be a wide receiver for 10 plays a game. And not everybody's the same with it. Some guys just are not comfortable, especially when they get the NFL, like turning and having a catch. I don't know enough about that part of his game um, and how that'll translate to the NFL. But I, I still feel like the running backs that are real threats in the passing game, it ends up being a shorter list. And we just assume everybody can do it. So anyway, but I'm glad you brought up Detroit because yes. All right, keep going. No, yes, it, it is a short list. Uh, he's to me, he's the only one in this year's draft because if I put if I put him up, like he's kind of Camara, Marshall Falk type. Like he he's got that type of acceleration. So literally, I, I can go back and show you. I can line him up on a single receiver side and throw him a hitch, and I mean it's going to be trouble for the DB. Like he he's got that kind of wiggle out there, and he's also got the acceleration to run it out of the backfield. So to me, he was the only one in this year's draft that I would put in that category. And if you don't believe running backs can change things, go back and look at when the 49ers traded for McCaffrey. Changed everything they do. Changed everything that they do. So to your point, I hear you traditionally, especially when you start looking at Leonard Fournette and Ezekiel Elliott, guys that were drafted super high, and they've kind of played out. But this dude's different, man. Like he's different. And I want to just make sure I, I don't sound like I'm saying he can't make those catches um, because yeah. that's not fair because he really is. He's, a, he's an absolute playmaker, but I feel like teams, whenever they have that wide out or tight end, like that's what they end up doing. And you're going, okay, we used the first round on this. But I am glad you said Detroit because they get Laporta later on. Branch, the safety from Alabama, was my, one of my favorite players in college this year. And um, Martin, that beast of a tackle from, what, Western Kentucky? So I think Detroit's overall draft. I have. Uh, do you have anyone else defensively that you really love? Uh, who did I love defensively? Uh, I love the guy that the Bucks drafted, Kalijah Kansi, little defensive tackle. Reminded so much of me, like six foot two eighty. They said he's too small. Uh, he's the best interior pass rusher in this draft. Not Jalen Carter. Not any, like he's the best interior guy as far as if if, if there were. If somebody told me I got to take somebody from the 2023 draft and they got to line up and win a one-on-one inside, I'm picking him. Loved him. Um, who else? Um, I love the kid, Will McDonald, that the, that the Jets got. I like the DB, Cam Smith, out of South Carolina. Um, very aggressive, ball-hawking type dude. Um, just going through the list here. Um, I'm going to throw another one yeah, at you because I'm, I'm going to ask because I really like Seattle's draft. And I don't know if it's if it's a flaw in my game, but I feel like I always end up liking one one defensive lineman from Auburn every year where I'm like, oh, I think yeah. this guy can do some things. Like, am I nuts to still believe in Derek Hall? No, you're not. Uh, again, six, what, a 6'2", 6'3", 250, can turn the corner, like how he's built. Yeah. Like, he's that, he's that quintessential rusher now. You're, there are more guys, which is why, and we can do this one day, like we can really geek out and talk about defenses in college football. More teams in college football now are playing 3-4 defense because it's easier to find 6-2, 6-3 guys that are 250 
then it's then it's uh, it is to find six five two hundred ninety pound guys. So Derek Hall, Will McDonald, Will Anderson, like all those guys that are six two to six three, two forty five to two fifty that can run. Nolan Smith, yeah, we, Nolan exactly. Smith, six three, two thirty eight, whatever. Those guys are going to play a long time, dude. So yeah, um, like that pick, like that pick a lot. Okay, uh, everyone in New England, all my buddies are asking me about Butte. They're like, wait, wait, what happened to this guy? Uh, <laughs> let me let you go first and we'll see. Because he was he was lights out two years ago. And for him to go in the sixth round, that is a dramatic fall. Two years ago, he was lights out. But I think everything since then has been handled very, very poorly. Um, if you look at when the new regime came, there were questions about whether he was going to still be there with the new regime under Brian Kelly. Uh, I talked to talked to people down there, including Coach Kelly. They didn't see the explosiveness, uh, the ability to get open one on one. They didn't think that the suddenness was there, uh, especially compared to some of the other guys that were in the building. Um, and I was like, okay, well, that doesn't sound like the guy we saw that just lit up some teams a year before. And so, as, as, as the season ends. Um, is getting ready to end, and I understand him missing the game, and he had a kid born, and it was just kind of rumblings that he wasn't. Maybe is he going to opt out? Is he not? He never got great favor with the with the regime there. So now you go through the postseason testing process. He didn't test well. He so you add film that's not great, starting at Florida State when he couldn't get open. You add film that's not great throughout the season to a, a postseason process that wasn't great. He didn't test well. Uh, coaches that really don't know him because the entire staff is gone. It's a new staff there. So now when the NFL teams come in, tell me about Keishon. I don't know. Kind of what you see is what you get. So it was kind of a perfect storm of all those factors that led to uh, him being picked where he, uh, where he was picked. Yeah, his drop rate was pretty bad last year. I think it was around 11%. Uh, in the beginning of the year, Analytics, you well, that's not even analytics. It's just, you know, it's, uh, I, I think it was, you know, I think he was his own worst enemy this year. Like he let all of it get to him, you know, when Jaden couldn't make the plays, like, cause you know, Besh, who I thought was a real playmaker at tight end, you know, he's a TCU now. And I know he had more of an injury issue, but I think a couple of the guys that were established and then Jaden's not getting the football consistently enough. Uh, for sure, Kayshawn like checked out. You know, he was looking back at him in the Florida State game. He didn't finish a couple routes off. So there's some bad tape on him, but it would have to be him deciding like you need to get over how uncomfortable you were last year because as much as everything that happened last year is real, I have a hard time believing two years ago was fake. <laughs> you know, I just, he was, he was an absolute stud two years ago. So for him to be in the sixth round, I know he's not huge. And then the testing adds to it. And you're right. Like the news, the new regime isn't going to sit there and talk to all their NFL contacts and start raving about this dude. Cause they're not committed to it. And that's one of the most damaging things that can happen to you as a prospect. It's like, you start talking to people in the building, be like, tell me about your guy. <laughs> when it's like, eh, yeah. really like, <laughs> like, I mean, you can drop rounds, especially yeah. when you're not six feet running a four, four. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I mean, I I, I think in New England, um, obviously he's going to be coached hard, coached well. Um, I'm not necessarily sold on Mac Jones, so I'm not sure that's a great situation for him. However, um, yeah, uh, it, it's a humbling experience, and and I think for him, 
Um, and, and I know a lot of guys feel this way. When you get to the NFL, like that's a lifelong dream, man. And regardless of what round you pick, I know this past weekend, everybody celebrating all that. But once you get to the NFL facility, man, that don't matter. Because guess what? You're going to get in line and it's going to be 10 receivers in a line and you're going to get your opportunities and you got to count every rep and you got to make every one of them count. And I think he's got an opportunity now. And if you would have told him five years ago, you're going to be on a team, you got an opportunity. Uh, sure, you want the upfront money that comes with being drafted higher. I get that. But if you would have told him five years ago, you're going to be on an NFL team with an opportunity to make a team and earn a living. Man, you take that all day. Like as a competitor, that, that, that's the, that's the way he's got to approach it. But I do also, not to get into college football, but I, I, I do think it's going to show you just how deep uh, next year's draft will show you just how deep LSU's receiver room really is. Because I, I think you're going to have two or three guys that have the opportunity to go pretty high um, because the talent was just a little different. And I think they're going to test well. And they're going to look the part. And they're going to um, Jaden has made a, 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 a ton of improvements. I was down in the spring and uh, it's, it's amazing. And it's like nothing physical. It's all mentally and it's all like the confidence, man. And, and the coaching staff loves him. And uh, yeah, man. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this football season as I know you are. Hey, thanks as always, Booger. Appreciate it, man. Anytime. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra. An appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Let's talk Lakers-Warriors, and we're going to do it with uh, one of the best Lakers reporters in the business, Mike Trudell on Spectrum. Uh, he's been with the team a long time. How many seasons is this now for you, Mike? 2008 was my first, so, man. Housing crisis. Yeah, wow. it's, getting up, it's getting up there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, this feels a lot like a lot of the other series in the playoffs this year where either outcome is not going to be uh, that surprising to me. Uh, I'm really impressed with what the Lakers have been able to do with this rotation. Part of me in picking Golden State feels like maybe the Memphis thing, maybe they were such a mess that it was an easier test than maybe we realized for it. But then there's the AD factor where, look, if AD is going to be, he wasn't even great in this series, but the best version of him is still a lot harder to deal with than most players in the league. So I'll ask you your pick and all that kind of stuff. But going into it, like, where are you in your certainty on the outcome? Well, it's a little tricky to look at the regular season matchups because Steph didn't like, so the Lakers won three games after the trade deadline once they had this new team. And it is a new team. Like it, it essentially, Ryan, there's the Russ era. Then before that, there was LeBron AD and guys that fit around them. And then there's Russ. And then there's the post Russ era where LeBron AD and now guys again that fit around them, if in a little bit of a different way from the team that won the title in 1920. So when they match up against the Warriors, AD is still the player that is kind of the swing guy where the Warriors don't have a great answer for him. And that's while acknowledging that Draymond Green can defend one-on-one -on -one better than most players in the league, even on AD. 
But that doesn't necessarily deal with the way that they can get him rolling to the rim once Golden State starts some of their switching stuff like that. And he's also the answer to what they didn't have to face against Sacramento in terms of not just a rim protector, but probably the best rim protector going right now um, in the NBA and a guy that can still switch out to the perimeter. So what they essentially did against the Warriors in the regular season was top lock and just, okay, go out, extend to the three-point line, encourage them to basically drive into where Anthony Davis is. And that's just going to make it more difficult on what Golden State does from an offensive perspective than most teams, especially Sacramento, where you have kind of an open rim. You have an open lane, especially once they went small uh, with DeMontis Sabonis uh, not even playing a lot. And, and so I like I like the matchup in terms of just what you see X's and O's. But I also think, Ryan, and this is I want to I'd love to get your take on this, too. When you're a defending champion like Golden State was, I don't know. I don't know that the Lakers saw their A game in those three games, and certainly the ones without Steph just throw them away. But it's just a team that I think was trying to get to the postseason. I saw it happen with the, we, you mentioned, I, I said in 2008, I started with the Lakers. Well, the next year, they add Ron Artest, and he was the guy that kind of kept that, that team with the pedal down alongside Kobe. And you, yet and still, you didn't see that A game a ton until you needed to once you got to the postseason. And I didn't even feel like we saw the Warriors A game a ton against the Kings, we saw Steph's a couple times, but they weren't to me clicking on all cylinders. So it's a little bit different from how the Lakers entered it, where it was, where are LeBron's legs at? Can he get there four out of to- uh, four out of seven times? And he certainly did to get there four times. Not going to be every game. So a lot going into it. I, I think matchup wise, it, it, there are some some real positive points for the Lakers, but you certainly can't underestimate the Warriors picking their game up a level, even from where it was in round one. The whole Lakers season. uh like almost none of the numbers really matter, you know, because it's it's one of the best in season. You know, I think as far as what Boston did last year, like in season going, look at all this talent. They know who they're supposed to be and they're totally lost. And then they turn it on from January on. Uh, the Lakers is different in that they completely reinvented themselves. Boston was basically the same guys playing differently. And yet the Lakers, who had this awful stretch of the roster from three on down, four on down, depending on, you know, what you wanted to argue about. Uh, and, and creating this on the fly is like a really, really hard thing to do, but it always does get kind of back to AD where, wait, if he's going to play like he did from what end of January on. And again, he wasn't even that good against the Memphis series. He was up and down. The one that they lost there was really an awful game, but I felt like I'd agree with him that the looks were still pretty good. He just was off the entire night. They're both very hard teams to think you know them absolutely. You know, even the even the Warriors' road record, it was so bad, and the defense was so bad. I was like, is that number even real? And then they win a game seven in a really tough spot uh, in Sacramento. Not that Sacramento's perfect, and we know their defensive struggles, but after Sacramento gets them in game six, you're thinking like, okay, you have to take this really seriously. So I still feel like the Golden State challenge is better, but that's can be, you're right, it can be deemed a little irrelevant when you're trying to match up the two. Uh, I still feel like the Lakers aren't 100% sure what they want to do with their rotation stuff, which is also one of like four or five teams that started the playoffs. What would you, what do you think you know about what they want to do and how they want to close and what they want to do with Vanderbilt on certain matchups? And then I think despite how great Russell was in the closeout game against Memphis, I think there are other times where maybe Darvin wasn't always in a hurry to let him kind of run everything. And I can even see times where he and LeBron, like late, LeBron will be like, I'm not throwing it back to you now, which again, I don't blame him for. I think the I think they finally figured it out with the rotation. And it basically is what you saw in game six, 
where they were going to the second unit and, and trying to rest AD a certain amount, and they were playing LeBron at the center, which in one in some instances, Ryan, isn't bad over the course of a series because it's going to save his legs a little bit more when he doesn't have to rotate out to the perimeter. But what you saw in game six, Beasley out of the rotation, Brown's out of the rotation, at least for that game, Gabriel in for some of the minutes when AD wasn't on the court, and that basically just fixes everything. Because then you're tighter defensively, you're a little bit better on the backboards, you're a little bit better in, in terms of not making certain types of errors on the perimeter that would kill you against Golden State. And, you know, AD, you mentioned that he had he was inconsistent, certainly offensively, but he was ridiculous off uh, defensively for the entire yeah. series. And that's locked in. So he's, I think his net rating was like 13.6. Now, some of that's because of that that final blowout, but they just, when when the starters were on the floor, and it's Reeves and Russell, skill guys around LeBron and AD, and then a hustle kind of do everything player in Vanderbilt, which by the way, you can always bring Hachimura in, uh, who has really kind of brought his game up if Vanderbilt shot isn't going in, et cetera. That's a re- that group kind of has a lot of angles covered. You know, that's, it's a, and the one thing, the one thing I think that's key for it that was different in game six from earlier in the series is that it wasn't LeBron top of the key, dribble, dribble, you know, wait and isolate. It was, he let Russell and Reeves initiate some of those actions against Memphis's not top defenders in that context. LeBron waiting to cut on the weak side, you know, AD setting a scroll, uh, setting a screen and maybe slipping even if they're trying to switch. Like that's to me, the Lakers team that's really difficult offensively. Um, and the one that I think if Golden State, when they start to get into their switching stuff, that's the way they can play, I think, to really get some advantages. Will they put Vanderbilt on Curry and, and see how it goes? I, you know, I would expect to to start with Reeves on Curry, but you don't want to just have one guy like with any superstar. Um, sure. You don't want to just just give him, hey, you got Steph this year. Good luck, buddy. You know. Uh, we'll we'll see at halftime. I, I think that it'll be some Reeves. They'll throw Vanderbilt on him for some time. Dennis Schroeder, to me, might actually be the best in terms of lock and trail, f- chasing Steph around, not losing him. Schroeder always battles and always hustles, and he's kind of you know their key bench guard. So I think it'll be all of the above, not just going to be one guy there. I'm glad you said that about Dennis because he deserves a lot of credit for like he'll still keep fighting through the possession um, despite some nights where it looks like he doesn't have it. Where Russell, you know, that's always my biggest knock on Russell, but he feels like he's, you know, I mean, he was great in game six. He made a million shots. Um, but I wonder, I would imagine Ham wants to stay away from that. And we all know too that Steph's going to pass with the primary defender off of him and then he's going to run around and, you know, it's going to end up changing anyway. I think the thing you like a lot if you're a Lakers fan is you're going LeBron having to defend Draymond. Like that's just great because it's not a ton of movement unless Draymond's going to want to run the whole time. And you never know with Draymond. Like, he's really smart. He's going to figure it out. I don't think he likes LeBron so much now that he would take it easy on him. Um, that's a joke. But it's, it's probably... No, but it's, it's probably something when you're looking at the defensive matchups, you're like, okay, there's not really that big wing that LeBron's going to be stuck with having to deal with that's going to, depl- you know, deplenish his, his reserves in this series. Yeah, I was debating this with uh, a Laker Film Room podcast with with my guys, Pete and Darius. We were just we had like a 30 minute discussion on this, like who's going to guard whom and why. And ultimately, my kind of sellout point on it was, well, LeBron knows, like he knows this Warriors team better than most, played him in the finals four times. He's going to know the best spot for him. And I don't want to say to hide, but like there, it certainly makes sense early in the series to not have him involved in every action. And the one thing you do get with Draymond, if you're defending Draymond, 
you're going to have to like he's involved all the time. He's moving, he's setting screens, he's getting the dribble handoffs, like he's running around. So in that context, you could actually have LeBron on Looney um, at times. You could have him on Wiggins at times if Wiggins isn't as involved. And I think that's the thing, Ryan, with the matchups this series. Like it's these teams are both so fluid in how they play that I, I don't know that you're going to see a lot of just one on one and sticking to certain guys. Like the Lakers. It's not. You're right. I mean, you know, none of this. We're sitting here acting like it's going to be 48 minutes of it. You're absolutely right. I mean, things are going to change constantly. Go ahead. I interrupted. No, no, but but you're right, and that is kind of the key part. Like when we, the way that we grew up thinking about basketball and this like mano a mano, and things have just evolved so much since then. But I, I just get back to, I think there will there will be some games where where the Lakers get stuck in the half court um, in terms of their offense, and Golden State has a great plan for it. But that's where I think from the Lakers standpoint, their coaches they trust that LeBron specifically is just going to identify the best places to attack, and then and basically call that out on the court. And to me, the best place to attack, even if he's not m- making all of his shots, is Anthony Davis. Right now, he just he is such an advantage creator, Ryan. And like when he's been healthy, and that's you know since he's come back from that five and a half week absence, he's been actually very solid throughout the whole time. Um, a couple games where he doesn't shoot well, but like he's really, I, I think that he, I don't want to say he's surprising people, but like it, it surprises me that people don't identify. Um, how good he is uh, when he's on the court. And and like the, like a lot of the numbers reflect that this season. His energy and effort against Memphis, though, uh, you're you're right. I mean, even the game where he's missing shots, I think he had five blocks in the first half, and it was just like he's swallowing up everything. And, dude, uh, every, every Taylor Jenkins press conference, it's like he started the first thing out of his mouth is like Anthony Davis. It's like they're, you could just tell they they don't like, what are we supposed to do with this dude? What are we supposed to, how are we supposed to get to the spots in the court that we get to? And, and that, to me, is kind of what broke the series. You've watched LeBron his entire Lakers career up close every single game. You talk to him after everything. Where is he right now in your eyes as a player? Well, it's this is one of those things you're looking at basketball reference and you're like, how many players actually played in the playoffs in year 20? And the answer is one. It was Kareem. Like Robert Parrish had, I think, 18 total minutes. Um, and Udonis Haslam this year, you know, he had that one game where he actually came in, he did some things, right? Udonis was kind of fun, but... So that's the place that you start with it. And then you think, all right, well, he does have maybe the best NBA uh, physique of all time. Like he would be the guy that could go to this length. But to me, it's just the it's the mental understanding that separates him now where he's he knows that there. Okay, if there are seven games, um, I have to find a way to get myself in this team through four of them. And you saw that in game one versus game two where game one at Memphis, he had he did have the proper energy in the rest, and he's able to deploy that defensively. Game two, he's not getting out to corner three-point shooters. And it's like it's not because he doesn't want to. I think that's part of what's so interesting about LeBron. Like, he's he really does have the whole series mapped out in a sense. And I, I just think that it's going to be interesting, Ryan, to see now how does this happen against a Golden State team that also knows LeBron, um, against Steph, against Steve Kerr. But... It's just it's hard until you see him not be able to come through in those situations, given that the roster has requisite talent, which I think this one does. It certainly did not before the trade deadline. They always had that trade chip, though. They knew what was going to happen. They were going to make a move at some point. And so he he to me is is probably the biggest reason why I think it's it's uh, it's not hard to buy into the fact that the Lakers could win this series, um, knowing that LeBron's going to figure out what he has to figure out and that his body is is going to be good enough for four times out of seven. How does he talk about Steph when he talks about him with you guys? He just talked about him yesterday. And now it's it's really evolved like glowingly. 
Like he loves Steph. And I think that that this is part of where I don't think it's calculated at all. I think that Steph at a certain point won his respect. What LeBron said makes the difference is like he's a guy that obviously just watch him play has put in the work and he continues to put in the work. Steph is somehow better now. And I think it's almost you've talked about this on your pod before. Fan of the pod, by the way, um, the the involvement of, of him physically, you know, he's he's he can take contact now and bump guys off going into the lane. That's not what used to happen. So I, it's like that's that involvement of Steph to LeBron, I think, shows this guy is in the gym. He's like he's working. He wants to be great. And when guys eventually go at each other enough, that mutual respect, I think, comes. I'm sure Steph feels the same way about LeBron. And I honestly, I think it's pretty cool. Like it's it's these it doesn't mean you don't want to kill the guy, by the way, when you're on the court. Um, if anybody that has a brother, you know, it's like you're you could be you might you might love your brother, but if you're playing ping pong, like that's the guy you want to beat more than anybody, at least for me. So it's a it's a it's a respect that's been born over the years. And I think now does legacy stuff get involved? I don't know, a little bit. He, it almost seems like they're past that. Like both legacies are so secured. I don't think LeBron's like if if the Lakers lose this series, all of a sudden it's gonna make people change the way that they talk about me. And maybe that's also part of the reason why he's he's able and willing to to heap all of the praise upon stuff. It sounds like uh, that you're picking the Lakers, but you're also not sure. No, I so I do what so what I've seen this season. I watch a lot of the Warriors. Like I I I did a radio show for years with with Michael Thompson, and so I've the, the the Warriors were always good when the Lakers weren't, and it was this whole. It's even the fan bases don't hate each other like nearly as much as a lot of these Western teams do. Um, so point being, I've watched a lot of the Warriors and I, I just like the matchups a little bit more for the Lakers. And I think that Davis at this level is is the one player that can kind of that can kind of really impact the way the Golden State attacks. Um, so, yeah, I do. If I had to make a pick in the series, I would say I would say Lakers. I am curious for your pick, though, um, as a, as a, a clear neutral. Uh, no, I'm definitely not neutral. Let's not kid ourselves. I mean, I love Steph. I love him. Uh, you know, Sunday was another one of those moments. I'm like, I'm just happy I get to watch this guy. You, you and, love stuff, but you're you're not getting your life isn't changing for the you know the but you're not going to go against your basketball instincts, are you? To pick that, um, there's some there can be a little, and I'm just admitting this. There can be times too, like when it's fifty fifty for me. I'll just pick the team that I know I don't want to root. You know, I'll be like, well, I'd rather that's sensible. I don't want to pick the Lakers and then root to be like right when I, you know, so I'm going to pick gold state. Uh, I, I'm not super confident in the whole thing. You know, if golden state were to lose, I, I'll, I'll get on with my day. I, I'll admit though. I think the 1819 rocket series, those I emotionally cared about the outcome for a bunch of different reasons on that one. So yeah, I, uh, I'm not sold. I'm not sold because the Anthony Davis thing, but I'm also, you know, constantly worried. I'm always worried about him. I'm always worried about him. I think D'Angelo Russell will have probably one or two games where it's like, how does Minnesota get rid of him? And I think he's going to have another couple games where you're like, oh, that's why Minnesota got rid of him, which is, I think, very much what we saw in the Memphis series. You know, like that was a very unsurprising stretch of D'Angelo Russell games for me um, because I just, we do not give enough credit to the players that lock in all the time. Like even Jamal Murray, you're watching him game one going, man, we don't talk about this guy enough. And then it's a credit to the LeBrons. It's a credit to the Currys. It's a credit to those dudes that are at the top of their game that their worst playoff game is still a lot of production. And that's, you know, when it's all said and done for LeBron, like that's the part that I 
will think about the most. Sure, a mistake here, didn't have it, but like look at his worst playoff games. They're they're still <laughs> there's still games that we would we would start a podcast on with other dudes. And then there's this other group of players who are really, really talented, but can have an absolute playoff dud. And that's what I'm fired up about with this series knowing that for the most part, LeBron, Steph, you already know what you're getting. You're just wondering if it's going to be that next level, like the kind of game that you're going to remember years after they're retired. And both have given us a lot of those, and Steph just gave us one this weekend. It's a fair point. So the thing I think that is LeBron and AD now together in the postseason are something like, I don't know, I think it's like 24 and 8 or 9 or something. And the thing that I've I've come to, to like about NBA players is that, in, and this is where Davis kind of comes to the top, there's always the baseline level defensively. And so even on the night where he's, sometimes he's not attacking enough, he's not being aggressive enough on offense, he's settling. That's happened a little bit less lately. And I think that that wasn't what happened in Memphis. Like Jaron Jackson Jr. is awesome. And they were basically not guarding Vanderbilt so he could wait in the paint to give AD another body. That's to me the biggest reason why he didn't get some of those shots off. But like if, if you're a superstar and you're only giving it on one end of the court, you know, you just mentioned Jamal Murray. I wouldn't say superstar, but some he hasn't even made an all-star game. Donovan Mitchell, like some guys that even even as somebody as great as Lillard, like if you can't also bring some of the requisite energy on the other side of the court, as hot as you can get on offense. And that that again, that's the baseline with what this Lakers duo of LeBron and AD have done, where they can impact the rim on both ends. Uh, and and so that you're gonna get some baseline there. And if they make shots or not, it, the team can still find ways to win if the requisite talent is there. And that's where, you know, Reeves and Hachimura and Russell, those guys come into play. The energy and aggressiveness from AD, though, has consistently been higher. And you're right. There's there's games when he's super aggressive. I'll never forget that Memphis regular season game where he took a million free throws. I don't know. You remember that one a few years back? And It was like his second game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I reference it every now and then. And I'll go, God, like that dude, that night. Like that's you know, great. You're not going to get that every single night. But you'd like to see stuff that's closer to it. I think his energy has been great. I think it's going to be a... You know, Looney, I never want to doubt about anything because he's so adaptable to everything that's going around. But that's a big ask for him on top of all the other stuff that he has to deal with. And, you know, Draymond will probably get him a few times there, too, to see him not be a jump shooter anymore, to to see those numbers kind of maybe it makes it a little bit easier on the defensive assignment. But if he's aggressive, he's just so much bigger than the guys he's going up against most of the time. That could be I mean, I will not be shocked if this series were done in six games where like AD just ate them all up. Like that's not going to be a surprising outcome to me at all. It's funny because like Looney's so good and he can he's going to punish them on the offensive glass. But AD can just go over the top. Like that's what some of that that lobs that screen roll action or when he's slipping or if Golden State wants to switch out. They, he's he's a good couple inches taller and much longer than both Draymond and Looney. And that's what they did some in those regular season games. So, you know, it, it's certainly going to be interesting. Enjoy the series, man. I always appreciate the time. We'll catch up soon, all right? All right and I understand that people are fast-forwarding through this to get to life advice. I get it. Um, I always want to see what Kyle has to say. Um, shout out to Saruti, too. Well done. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. 
Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice is brought to you by Modelo. Let's face it, life can be hard, but Modelo believes that you are fighters and you deserve a beer that's brewed for those with a fighting spirit. You deserve Modelo, the mark of a fighter, a rich Mexican lager made with premium hops for a crisp and refreshing taste. The perfect reward is celebrate perseverance no matter what life throws your way. Life advice, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Check in with Kyle. Got a cool What's up, shirt man? on. Party right. shirt. Thanks. Just getting ready. Ocean City, Maryland, bachelor party next week, baby. Four days. <laughs> wait, wait. So not this weekend, next weekend, but you're already debuting some of the wardrobe for it? Yeah, I was just, you know, rooting around the closet, seeing what I got. That's not new, then? No, 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 no. It's a classic. I think we need to update the audience. Uh, there was a rumor I was going to make it to Willie Nelson's 90th birthday party. <laughs> How about being 90 and... Can you imagine? Crazy. Yeah. Like I think of an old relative at like 80 going, imagine giving that guy a guitar and a microphone in front of a few thousand people. I granted, really. What's he going to say? Yeah, right. (laughs) In between songs. Wonder if he has thoughts on things. Like the Logan Roy concern at Wreck New York. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I did not go. Denver, Phoenix. a shame. Yeah, and because I knew Denver Phoenix, and I was like, I'm gonna have to get up because the game started so early on Sunday, and Bill and I taped early. But I don't know if Kyle, I'll ask, did we at least have a moment this weekend because there was an attempt at coordinating if things worked out? Oh, my blood was pumping, dude. I was in Frolic Room. The air conditioner was on, but I was getting warm. I was like, guys, this shit might happen. Um, it didn't, but uh, it definitely we. We were planning stuff, and it really felt like, you know, you were going to try. So, um, hey, that's, that's, we're moving, it moved the needle for me. So, people, well, this is what happened, is Chris Long hits me up and goes, is Kyle your guy? And I was like, yeah, no, (laughs) Kyle. Did you reach out to Chris independently of us? Yeah, because you were like, Chris Long's driving the bus. I'm like, oh, I just got to get Chris Long to come here, and then Ryan will come here. And then uh, I I just texted him. I was like, "Yo, pregame at Frolic before the whatever." And he was. And then I never hit him back. And I didn't. Uh, you know what? Because I used to get um, like notifications when a verified dude would message me. So I was like, you know, that's how I would talk with like Stanford Steve and and all like the other like like Big Cat. I would get a notification when he you know messaged me and stuff like that on Twitter. And then I just assumed that I would get one, but I forgot the whole badge thing went away. So I didn't get like a, you know, a notification or anything. So I just basically was like, come to the frolic room. Uh, and that was it. So uh, the right. next day you want, when I, you wanted, if I was going up to pregame for Willie Nelson app, cause you were like, room. I don't know, Chris Long sort of doing this whole thing. That's well, what you said to me. He's like, Chris Long's yeah. driving the bus. And I was like, Oh, okay, great. So all I got to do is get Chris Long to steer the bus over to frolic room before the bowl. And I just never, I just totally never answered. And then I left. But uh, it was, well, he wasn't going to, let's be honest. He was just like, what is that place? Is it close? And uh, I just never, never got back to him. But uh, he did answer pretty quickly. Right. Is it close is never a great response. 
because it just it is close though. Is it that close to the Hollywood Bowl? Oh, dude, it's it's Hollywood and Vine and uh, Hollywood Bowl is Hollywood and Highland, basically. So yeah, it's right there. Okay. Well, I knew that those guys were pretty fired up about the Willie Nelson thing. And then as I was trying to pull it off, and then I was like, well, I'm not even going now. So I blew him off. It should make you feel better, Kyle. It does, actually. And then Kyle was like, wait, why aren't you going? And I was like, well, because of Denver Phoenix. And he was just, Kyle was like, he was like, what? Denver Phoenix, just just tape it or whatever. And I was like, yeah, but if I tape it, then I'm in a hurry and I'm trying to get caught up. And I knew we were going earlier on Sunday. Uh, I did see the guys late. We did a, we did a little late tour of the local spots. Um, oddly enough, one of the places we went to ended up being the LA Kings like postseason rap thing. And the bar was like, hey, if you're not on the team, like beat it. <laughs> and I was and were like, you like actually who's in there no 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 i was <laughs> like i want to no no to be honest with you i was like i don't want to be the guy that like stays because i think i only know two players and i don't even know them that well so oh, okay that's a culmination of a full season having to go up against mcjesus and dry so i was like let's make sure we get out of here because chris was like i don't want to be here and i was like i don't want to be here either like i feel like this went from like a cool hang to now get out of here and so yeah like what do you say actually we got two super bowls over here buddy and this pod is doing pretty well so uh, you ever seen broken arrow (laughs) (laughs) so anyway kyle and i talked on saturday when he was at the frolic room and i was like i'm trying to figure it out i'm trying to figure out it didn't happen but there was a moment where he was like this call just this call though means something and I was like, okay, great. So I, Progress. I, wanted, I wanted to let the audience great. know because it wasn't my deal. It wasn't my show. It wasn't, it wasn't any of those things. So I was like, all right, I don't know what's going to happen. And then I didn't, ended up not even, I didn't go to either one of them. I didn't go to either show. So, okay. Uh, let's, let's get to the questions here. Sup, Kyle, Ryan, Saruti, 26 years old, five, five, weight, none of your business. Gym stats aren't impressive, but I swam a mean individual medley that's the i am back in the day still have my high school record oh wow nbd okay my boyfriend and i are currently living in chicago but i'm sick of this weather and want to move somewhere warmer uh this email what okay is this a woman with the nbd weight thing did we okay uh, yeah just none of your business weight just to let the audience in on everything here. The The email was from a male name. And so I was like, oh, okay. You know, I didn't know if it was going to, and then it's not, it's, it's the girlfriend using the guy's email address or whatever. Yeah, okay. Sure. I don't know. I mean, I, I buy think it. That the weight, the weight, none of your business is my first question. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, again, I just, I didn't know which direction we were going here. And then you're like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's cause it's like, oh, Hey, did you hear Priscilla pod? They, I read that email about the gay couple. That fucking pod's cool, man. Pod gets it. Like, nope. We do get it. We do get it. But this is uh this is a this is a female emailing us about her boyfriend. Okay. A female. Right, no there we go. Wow. Nice. You like that? Very good, Kyle. That was good. That was good. Female's the one we're not supposed to say, right? Correct. It's just, it's just yeah. kind of harsh. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Is it? I wouldn't yeah, have said mind. harsh, but uh, yeah, I get what he's saying. I get. Yeah. I, they just told me not to, so I don't. 
Yeah, harsh seems harsh. Okay, my boyfriend, let's call him Joe. <laughs> Currently living in Chicago, but I'm sick of this weather. I want to move somewhere warmer. Okay, we met at a Big Ten school. Been dating for over five years. Uh, living together for almost two. Things are pretty serious, but I just don't think we have a future in Chicago. We both moved to Chicago for work after graduation, but neither one of us is originally from here. And we both have jobs that we could do in any midsize or larger city in the country. My boyfriend said he's open to moving, but will only consider cities in the mountain or central time zone because it's, quote, the ideal time zones for watching sports. Is this something guys really take into consideration or is he being crazy for not even considering all the great cities in the eastern time zone? As someone who's lived in New England for a long time and now lives in Southern California, I feel Ryan is uniquely qualified to weigh in on the situation. Okay. Uh, wow. Yeah, guys definitely care about this. I mean, your guy really likes sports, right? Your guy really likes sports. Uh, the East is not a better time zone. The East is the worst of the time zones to watch sports for most people. I prefer it, but I'm I'm bowing to consensus on here. When you have a Nuggets first round game tipping off at like 10, 10 Eastern time on a Sunday night, that's criminal. Yeah. Okay, honest, that's it's fucked my life. Up shout out to Rudy. Playoffs. Yeah, it's not <laughs> it's not great. Um, you know, it's up till and the problem too is like it's not even like you just go to bed when the game's over. Like you're, I'm kind of wired for like another hour or so. So you're up until one, two. Sometimes we're doing pill pods after. It's a it's a fucking disaster. If I'm being honest. Yeah, I don't. I think the East is easily the worst. Even though I preferred it, I preferred it because I needed that gap from getting off the air until the game starting of like three hours. I don't like the West Coast, and everybody else does. I don't like the NFL and college football starting at 9 a.m. on Saturdays yeah, and 10 a.m. I don't tough. like I don't like waking up, rushing to the gym, and then being like, okay, it's 9 a.m., time to get to it. I don't like it. Uh, I liked Sundays on the East Coast where I felt like I could do some stuff, get out of the house for a little while, maybe even go for a walk, go to the bookstore. you know, Check out some home furnishings, anything, and then be like, okay, now I'm back here at one, even though I would start to hate everything week 12 Sunday night when it was the Giants during their stretch of not being able to do anything on offense. But cool, the Giants are on again. So that rant, that rant is documented. It's it's out there uh, if you need to go back and look at that one. So I'm the rare person who doesn't like the West Coast thing because I think most people have families and stuff and I didn't mind staying up late and I don't like having the weather be amazing and then running inside at 345 to catch a four o'clock tip. Most people would say just don't watch as many Pistons games, you know, whatever this this whole thing pays for all this stuff. So boat owners, I don't think love the early times. People will argue the uh, the mountain time zone is the move. So you're not. Yeah, because what's that? 11 o'clock Sundays? Or is that 12? No, it'd be 11th. Awesome. The NFL. Right. Right. And, you know, there are moments too, like in a lighter NBA night when it's all over and you're like, oh my God, it's like 9 15. I could, I could maybe even go do something. If you left the house, that'd be, that'd be a good thing. There've been some Fridays where it's like worked out where I go, hey, I'll meet up with you guys later. Like I'll be done at 9 30, 9 45. And you're like, oh, this is great. Like I actually, so, the Western mountain time zones are actually better than East is easily last. Even if I'm telling you, I prefer it Then central. I think mountain is maybe number one. And I think, you know, the Western time zone for people with real nine to fives, that's where it might be a little inconvenient. And that's why I go mountain time zone. Number one. Yeah. That's my, that's, that's my ranking for it. Even if my personal preference is different. Having games on, I feel like the West coast thing, like having games on at four, 
when you're like, t- yeah, when you're still like, commuting or in the evening, that early evening, that, that to me blows. That's actually the worst time of day to have game starts. So yeah, all the people that think the West Coast is the best, they're totally wrong. I'm not saying the East Coast is awesome because it's not, but that's that doesn't seem like it's fun to me at all. Because then you're like, you're either, you miss the start of games, you miss the start of playoff games because you're at work or you have to like watch while you're eating dinner. I'm not a fan. So is the life advice, is this guy normal? Like, is he like, is this, should I be concerned that this is what, how he's basing his life decisions? Is that what she's saying? Or is she like, what do I say to this insane person? You're suggesting we haven't done anything here except ramble about time zones and haven't answered any questions. <laughs> yeah. And you might be right. Well, that is fair. <laughs> you know, I honestly forgot right what the question that. even was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we did just rank the time zones if that's what you wanted yeah honestly i think we answered a question that guys do care about this because we spent a good 10 minutes going through them all uh (laughs) basically your guy's awesome so lock him up yeah (laughs) i don't think i'd be in a relationship where i would say as much as i like sports i don't know that i ever would have gotten to a point where i would have said hey i'm into you but this time zone thing I don't think it's going to work out. I only okay. love you in the central and mountain time zones. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I don't, I don't, I mean, maybe this means you just have to move to Bozeman or Boulder. Salt Lake's available. Boise, isn't Boise blowing up? Boise, Boise yeah. is blowing up, but I don't. Idaho's got a weird, weird deal where it cuts through it, but I, Boise may not. Boise may be in the Western. Do we look oh, at it? Is it? Wow. Did we get well? I, honestly, to be fair to you, Idaho has a confusing time zone thing. Like they no, this says I, it's in the mountain time zone. Boise, yeah, isn't it Boise? Okay. By the way, Boise. Probably yeah, what am I doing? A Z? Yeah, I'm it's, it's Z. mountain time zone. It's ten a.m. right now. There, good for them. Okay. Uh yeah. I, it looks like there's a western part of Idaho that may. We don't need any follow ups. <laughs> we can see the map. <laughs> Arizona is its own thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, which listen. nobody knows what goes on there. I kind of uh, respect it. Yeah, nobody. They don't even know. Scholars are not into daylight years. savings. No, they I mean, look no. at the time zone map. They have like a weird shade. Well, because they're not into no, they're not into daylight savings, right? They're just like, yeah, we don't do that. So that gets confusing as well. Jonah Ryan, he was onto something. So yes, men do consider it. We've spent far more time on it than I thought we would. Uh, but I think he's being a little. Is, wait, did he say, just to double check here, did he say he preferred the eastern time zone? No, no, he said he wanted He's not to moving be, out of the mountain and central time zones. Yeah. Is he being crazy for not considering all the great cities in the eastern time zone? No, he's not. When it comes to sports, he's not wrong about that. Again, I, I think most people would have it last. Um, Unless you want to hang out. I mean, I like it. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I guess it... it if it matter, if you want to be on the East Coast, I guess you could just make that your sticking point and you guys could fight it out or just, you know, put the uh, put the time zone filter on Zillow or maybe they could maybe maybe you should ask them to make one. But um, I, I think you're you wanting to be on the East Coast is just as valid, you know. So um, but uh, I don't know. Good luck. It's it's funny that he said that out loud. I think <laughs> I don't know. If he, is he funny at all or is he super serious? <laughs> um. That's right. Idaho has two time zones. Split. The northern part observes Pacific time, southern Idaho. Um, and Boise is mountain. Yep. Good call, Srudy. One hour ahead of Sunnyvale. 
in case anybody else needed. Okay, I don't yeah. know if that might. I can't tell if that was one of the worst ones we've ever done or <laughs> average. All right, uh, I think we did like do... forty minutes on HOAs one time. I think that was that is probably true. the worst one. People liked that though. People did enjoy that. Not a yeah, I think they liked I it know. the first time when we had like ten minutes on it. I think when we, I think like when we did the callback like months later and we did forty five minutes on it. And I think it was mostly Ryan. I think Ryan had like thirty five of those minutes. So. <laughs> High usage rate. <laughs> yeah, I was hardened in that. Although hard, I I wasn't as good as Harden. I wasn't as good as Harden was in Game One. That's for sure. All right, uh, that that one I went so hard on that one. I think I may even called Rudy back, being like, "Hey, that was a lot. That was that was." Really <laughs> All right, sister wants new boyfriend to come to graduation. Hey guys, six foot twenty six, former college soccer player. Shout out to all the former athletes checking in. Four fifty five deadlift, three seventy squat, two seventy bench. Huge fan of the pod. Could use your input. I'm graduating from law school at the end of the month. Not a flex. It pertains to the story. I really wish people would stop apologizing for stuff they did that's awesome. You know, we're in a weird mode right now in society where it's like, oh, you did something awesome? Fucking shut up. (laughs) I think it goes both ways. I think either sometimes people, you know, they want all the congratulations for stuff that's stupid and they go the top. Or they don't yeah. want any credit for something that's actually awesome. There's like no middle ground. And that's yeah. the problem. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. It definitely goes the other way, too. But like, I feel like there's a lot of people just out there busting their ass, doing good stuff, feeling good about their accomplishments. It's like, I better not tell anyone this. <laughs> we, just, we just want your resume, man. It's no problem. 370 squat, law school. Sound great, dude. Killing it. Yeah. All right. Uh, my parents and my girlfriend of just over a year planned out a huge graduation weekend for me. Lots of celebrations with family and friends. I never go to college graduation because I graduated in 2020. Thanks, COVID. Uh, so this is my first graduation since high school. My sister's been dating a new guy for about a week. <laughs> I don't know. They even, Well, no, this, this email's not that old. They went on two dates two months ago called things off for about a month. Then after Marathon Monday, oh, we could be talking about Beantown here, went on another date and he asked her to be his girlfriend. People do that? I don't know. I thought they did that in like the 1950s. <laughs> like, let's just get married. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if that still happens. Yeah, but this is a girlfriend thing. I don't even know how guys do that anymore. Do they do It's like, Srudy, at one point when you're now with your wife, you're like, okay, this is real. What was the, what was that? Especially with you, I could just see you being like, "Yeah, it's cool." I definitely would not have a conversation. I would just, it would just be implied. So you know, and then she right. th- she's gonna have to bring up the conversation, and she did, and that's how we did it. That's the what how are we? How what? Uh, how long in? A while, a good amount of time. <laughs> yeah, if I'm being honest, <laughs> like a year. <laughs> no, no, not a year, but you know, I don't know. Both of us were just kind of having fun at the time, and I think we were okay with it. And then it, you know. It's like what what time at, at what point does somebody kind of want to lock this down exclusively? And I, I was I was already being exclusive. I wasn't like going around hooking up with other people, but I just didn't think it needed to be said. She wanted to have a conversation about it. We did, and then here we are. One kid later, love it. Yeah, I mean that's that's always like if everything is totally normal, as if it's boyfriend girlfriend and it's serious, and you're hanging out all the time, and then it's like seven months later and you're having the conversation, and then one of them's like, oh yeah, I don't want to do that. Like, wait, it's like this awful <laughs> moment oh, no. where you're like, what have we actually been doing? Be like, no, nah, you're just, it's just chill. You're like, what? 
Or I remember this dude pulled this magic trick on a girl that we were working with once where uh, he was like, I'm just not super into labels. It was like, oh, you fuck around all the time. That's mm. what you're saying. And I was like, oh, I was like, you just. All right. Uh, OK, so back to the email. Couple dates a few months ago. He says, Hey, do you want to be my girlfriend? A week ago. Uh, they've been dating for less than a week. I don't want my graduation to coincide uh, with my family and friends meeting my sister's new boyfriend of less than a week for the first time. So he doesn't want all the worlds colliding with new boyfriend of the week. Uh, my, I don't mean like she has a new boyfriend every week. We understand what I'm saying here. I just want to be delicate about it. My sister has yet to ask me about this. She has talked to my girlfriend and my parents, but has not reached out to me at any point. She, she already knows. She already knows that you want to say no to it. So that's why she's not reaching out to you, which is kind of lame. But given that this is my graduation, uh, I think it's fair to expect her to ask me. I messaged our family group chat since my sister seems incapable of texting me and said basically, hey, this has nothing to do with this guy. I don't know him. I don't have anything against him. I'd be open to meeting him, but I don't want to meet him for the first time at my graduation. And I don't want him there. My family has since said that they are, quote, sad, disappointed, and upset with me. They've accused me of prejudging him and not being open to meeting him. I think my stance is a fair one. Maybe we don't bring new boyfriends of less than a week to a celebration of a person's biggest accomplishment up until this point of their life. But maybe that's just me. Good right. Uh, what do you guys think? Am I the asshole here? Thanks for reading. I'm on your side, dude. Uh, I just, I just am. New guy alert to be at something like you know what sucks about these things. Granted, pictures a little different than you know back in my day, but he's gonna be in pictures. Mm. Not all of them, but some of them. Like I remember, there was somebody I was hanging out with and. It wasn't real serious. And she's in one of my sister's graduation pictures at my house. And it was up forever. And I would always <laughs> be like, this is the only one we have of this. And maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on the picture, the, the changing of history, inaccurately recording history by having this dude in there with now everybody with camera phones and like, you're going to take a thousand pictures. So he's not going to be in every one of them. I don't love it. I am I am against it. Uh, there was a time where it kind of happened with me uh, in my life where, you know, again, we've got the two Christmases at home and this new guy was at the Christmas Eve pre-fest, the Christmas morning exchange, and then the Christmas dinner. And I was like, hey, do we got to go three for three with this fucking guy? Like, I'm never home. He can't lay out. Can I get a, can I get a break from him? But here's what I think you need to understand about your sister. And this can be the case for this situation. Is sometimes you'll have somebody, you know, whether it's a sister or it's a brother, where this other person is this amazing buffer for them. Now, it could be that your sister, I don't know. I don't want to say anything bad, but like it could just be that, you know, this is her deal and whoever she meets, she's totally into it and like goes full throttle immediately. That could be it. But I do know there are other like another reason I think people get married is that they can go to family events with somebody who's not a relative. So they're like, I have an exit strategy. I can focus on this person. It's actually kind of cool if you really like your wife or your husband and you have some stress about family gatherings. And it's like, okay, at least I have this person that's with me. And then when I leave, like I get time with this person that I care about. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying that's what's happening here, but there definitely is something to be sensitive to. And I don't understand any of the family dynamic, obviously specific to you, but there are people that are way more comfortable at these things actually bringing an outsider. And it's some kind of like this comfort thing, this this cozy blanket of emotions 
that helps them get through some of these things. Now, if everybody gets along and you're all cool and it kind of sounds like you didn't give us any red flags or anything that everybody gets along, like I think it can be actually a little selfish, but also can be a little selfish to not think about why the other person is doing that because I know somebody in particular who does it every single time, does it every single time and I'll ask him and be like, why are you doing that? And he's like, well, I do this because it just helps me cope. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Boys? I think I wouldn't give a shit. I really don't care. Like, we're already, like, inviting some people to the wedding that we're like, wow, this could be a fucking disaster, huh? But it's like, ah, you know, you want them to be there or whatever. Um, and also to your, to your like, photo point, like, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've used to, I've told you before, I used to, like, you know, whoever I was seeing, like, even very briefly or even just, like, you know, like a one, two time thing, I would bring over my house. So there's, like, Yo, a photo one, album from, like, there, there's, a, there's a photo album from like 2010 to 2015. There's like seven different women just like in the, fa- at the family cookouts. I know, hey. dude. Like, I can't even, I can't even like show, like, my wife isn't going to be able to even like look through that photo album with me. She's like, well, who's that one? It's like, that was November. What's going on? This one's dated September. Who the fuck oh, is that? Man. It's like, why are they on the couch? What's, what's going on by the grill over there? Like, I don't know. So I don't, I don't really give a shit what about is going that stuff, is my point. <laughs> <I don't, whatever. laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just saying, uh, I, I wouldn't care about this. And, and I, I granted, I've never graduated from law school, but, um, I don't know. Like, I just think, uh, like the point of the gatherings, like, yeah, they are to, they are like to celebrate you, but it's really just to like get together. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, just so everyone has a good time. And, you know, if you're not going to not have a good time because this person is there, I just really wouldn't worry about it. Cause now you're, you got your parents who aren't, aren't really getting it. And like, it's a it's a celebration, yeah. Like it's for you, but it's really just like a gathering. So just remember that, man. I don't know. I would I wouldn't make like a big the juggalos at all. I could see <laughs> what. Well, you just kept saying the gathering, and I. <laughs> oh, is that an insane clown posse thing? <laughs> okay, I just mean like it's just it's not all about you. It is about you, but it's more about like the reason. It's, like, all, it's about all about him, us though. being together. No, I, just, yeah, I don't I mean, know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take that approach. But God, you're easy like going. To make waves. You're easy like going. Saruti and I are a little bit more uptight. Uh, Saruti's going to not n- want nothing to do with this guy. Well, I, I feel like I'm easy. Go- I wouldn't say anything, but I would be silently mad about it to the point where people knew I was mad about it. Uh, and I think <laughs> that's your right. Like, it's so it. it I don't know. I, I, I this is one of those things where I just feel like your sister has a complete lack of awareness. And that pisses me off. You know, when, when you should be aware enough to be like, hey, like, this isn't the time. This isn't about me because he's right. Like, it's going to be about everyone's going to be like, hey, who's this guy? Intru- you know, tell me about yourself. And not that you, you don't. Ha- it doesn't mean that you're selfish if you don't want this guy around. It just means that like, hey, this thing is supposed to be about me. Like, can we just can I just have a normal time with my family without some like kind of like outsider who, again, I may like, but I don't care about right now. And in this setting, you're it, it sucks because some people are going to think you're a dick for this and some people aren't. And I, I completely think you're in the right for being like, can we just use some common sense here and not have the one week boyfriend come? I mean, the way you described it, like, I think you're right, Ryan. Like, there's a lot of people who. And I'm probably one of them. Like, I love that my wife comes to different family events because she's way more like conversational than I am. She's kind of like the social butterfly. And I'm more of like the I don't know. I just kind of hang back and don't really talk a ton. So it's great. She'll just talk to people that I haven't talked to in a while. Um, I remember like at my high school reunion, my wife talked to more people than I did. Like just the way it is. And it's great. It's awesome. It feels great. But do you really need an emo like you're you're essentially the way you describe it, it's like an emotional support support boyfriend to hang out with your family at your at your brother's you know uh, law school graduation that thing that's just the bridge too far for me I don't like it I think it's rude and I think it lacks self awareness yeah the one week thing is I think the point you're like what and by the way why would he want to go 
which is actually another element to this. I'm like, he wants to go. You've been dating a week. You hope you hooked up flag. a couple times, like two months ago. And then he like, yeah, I'd love to go to your brother's graduation because I made you my girlfriend on Friday and let's go to law school. That's awesome. Super impressed. Can't wait to meet him. I mean, unless this guy is checking every single box, he's like a, one of the Winklevi <laughs> while he's still at Harvard. You're know, like, yeah, I met this guy. And you're like, okay. You know? And then you're like, this is going to be amazing. And he's the best. And he's super locked in. I just, I don't like it. I would say no. The fact she hasn't asked because she knows you're going to say no. That's another you part know. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, I'd say pop a fun Hawaiian shirt out of your closet and just fucking relax, dude. <laughs> Enjoy your accomplishments. That's all I've got. You're probably right, Kyle, but I don't like it. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> Life advice has been brought to you by Modelo. The fighting spirit means never giving up, even when the odds are against you. And it's something you can taste in every sip of Modelo, the crisp. Golden Lager has premium hops that make it the perfect reward to get through whatever challenges you're facing. You deserve this, so hold it up high. This is your reward, Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop, delivery, or pickup options for Modelo near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. That's life advice. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve. Ryan Rasula Podcast, Rigger's Podcast. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.